It is one of my absolute favorite things when it comes to sports. Um, And it only really happens in the fighting game. UFC, boxing, whatever it is, fighting-wise, wrestling, wrestling, sumo wrestling, whatever. Even though, I mean, I don't watch a lot of sumo wrestling, but it probably happens there, too. Uh, But one of my favorite things, one of my absolute, absolute favorite things in um, the fighting game, especially when it comes to fans, is the weird, like, UFC copium. Um, that the, the the fans like to do the funny reaction after a fight. Uh, one of the favorite fighters in of the brand goes down with like a knockout, gets knocked out or something like that. Uh, and the, some of the fans on the losing side, they, it always happens. If you go through any of like the Twitter mentions or anything like that, or, or anything that's uh, that's posting about the knockout on Twitter or anything like that, the fans of the losing side, not all of them, but uh, uh, some of them, uh, I think a lot of them. And at this point, part of me wonders if it's if it's, you know, like a copy pasta where they're just doing it to obviously, you know, get people angry. And I'm sure some of them do do that. Uh, but then the other side of it, they have to believe it. Like there's some of them that I truly believe that this is real, uh, that they make the accusation that it seemed to be rigged. Uh, that happened this past weekend with Adesanya and Alex Pereira. Alex uh, Pereira had uh, Izzy Adesanya backed up into a corner, and it looked like Pereira was going to get away with another victory. It looked like before this, before the fights with uh, Pereira between Izzy, uh, Izzy looked like he was unbeatable. He went up a a, a class and kind of got beat up in that. But you know, in, when it comes to middleweight, there was nobody better at the time. And then Alex Pereira came in. He had beat him in kickboxing like way back in the day. Alex comes into the sport of UFC and then beats him again. And it looked like up until this point that Izzy was going to be unbeatable in the middleweight division. And then Alex comes in, he beats him for the first time. And then the second fight this past weekend, uh, it looked like again that Alex Pereira was going to follow essentially the same path that got him the win the first time against Izzy, which was a ton of leg kicks. It kind of halted his aggressiveness, Izzy's aggressiveness towards Alex Pereira because he was getting kicked in the leg so much. Uh, and there were a couple a couple times where Izzy looked like he took a clean kick to the leg that it looked like a really it really messed him up. Not messed him up, but you know you know it bothered him a little bit in terms of uh, the pain that he was taking from those leg kicks. Uh, and then. Uh, Pereira was able to get him against the cage and then uh, it looked like that was going to be the beginning of the end. It looks like Pereira was just going to start hammering into him. And then Izzy out of nowhere just gains the 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 right hand overhead strength to hit him right in the old noggin close to the temple and just puts Pereira to sleep. Uh, and I loved the reaction from a lot of the Pereira fans for whatever reason. I don't know why this happens. It's just like the simplest reaction uh, it's got to be rigged. You know, there's no way that just happened. It cannot be that it just flipped 180 like that, but it's like, it's, it's the, it's the combat sport. You know, all it takes is one punch or one kick or whatever to completely change the momentum of what is going on in that sport. And it's funny to me to think that it has to, for, it seems like for a lot of those people that are saying it's got, it's got to be rigged. You know, it, it looks like there that Izzy was doing something to motion to Alex Pereira. I mean, there was a ton of them to motion to Alex Pereira that uh, he should come in this way so that he can hit him with the overhead right. Like there's, they really dive into the conspiracy theories for this stuff. And they do it a lot more in boxing too. It's really bad in boxing when people lose, when they see their favorite, uh, favorite fighters uh, fall or, you know, get knocked out or something like that. That is a, an immediate, an immediate conspiracy theory that happens often. Um, and it's just, it always makes me smile just because I love seeing people like go through the coping mechanisms in their own head and publicly put it out there 
Like they're trying to figure out what just happened and, you know, their their ability to cope hinges on the fact that there was no way that they could possibly lose in a fair fight. So it has to be rigged as like step one of their coping mechanism and having to see that. And I I mean, I don't want to say them the same way. I don't think I've ever thought to myself, oh, that was rigged, you know, on like any sort of fight or any uh, professional sports situation. I don't think I've ever after a loss thought to myself, yeah, that was rigged. There's no way that that was real. Um, but you know, it, just to see that, that cope, uh, the, the coping mechanism kick in after you see somebody, your favorite fighter or something like that lose. Um, and the UFC, man, I, I, I gotta give him credit. I don't, I hate, I don't like Dana White. I think he is, I mean, he's a good business person, but only strictly for the business. Uh, I feel bad for a lot of those fighters. We've talked about that before and how little they get paid uh, being the stars of that sport. Uh, And we just saw uh, one of their biggest fighters, Francis Ngannou, just straight up leave. He asked for uh, better compensation for a lot of the other fighters and a more, um, I would say, a fair workplace situation for a lot of those fighters. That's all he was really asking. Uh, And Dana White basically gave him the finger which means Francis Ngannou left one of the biggest stars in the sport just up and left the UFC. He said, I don't need it. I can fight elsewhere. And he's probably right. He can probably go and do and fight whoever he wants in different exhibition fights or whatever. And people are going to buy the pay-per-views, whether it be against Tyson Fury in boxing or uh, Deontay Wilder in boxing, whatever it is, uh, people are going to buy the pay-per-view to watch uh, Francis Ngannou fights because he's an incredible, uh, an incredible athlete, an incredible combat sports athlete. Um, But they put together some pretty good, uh, pay-per-views. I, I have to say the, the Jorge Masvidal fight. I mean, even though Jorge Masvidal is a, a shell of what he once was. Um, and let me preface this by saying I'm not the biggest combat sports fan in the world. Uh, I know a little bit of the history of it, uh, just based on watching, uh, some of the bigger fights with friends and stuff like that. I, I that's kind of the extent of what I know what listening to certain podcasts and things like that that bring on guests regarding the combat sports scene in the UFC in general. Uh, I'm not an expert in in it whatsoever. I couldn't name uh, the champions in each and every division. I could not do that. Um, there are a couple, obviously, that you know Izzy just won. Uh, and then, you know, the heavyweight one is John Jones, obviously, after making his crazy return to uh, the octagon as well. But after that, it's kind of a mystery to me, to be honest with you. But uh, there are certainly a couple fights that I get excited for, you know, uh, just because uh, fighters really make those cards what they are uh, and the personalities that they have and how they go about uh, promoting their fights uh, is really what draws a lot of people to those fights and how dominant they are, obviously, in the sport that they're in is a, is a good way to actually promote their fights as well. I mean, Conor McGregor made a history of basically promoting his fights by being a total jerk while also being very good at what he did. That's what he does. And he's very good at it. Um, but I think just all in, in all, I think their pay-per-views and the way that they um, really market them is, is very well done. And the fact that you'll get uh, basically every pay-per-view uh, and especially in the last, the last uh, from what I understand, the last few pay-per-views have been uh, very good and very well fleshed out. Uh, and the storylines have been very good in each one of them that have made a lot of people want to purchase them. Um, and I think that they do a very good job of doing that. And I think that's only going to get better with the partnership now that they have with the W, not the partnership, I guess the the purchasing of the WWE that uh, Endeavor did, who was the parent company to the UFC. I think those storylines are only going to get more interesting because that's really all the WWE does is create storylines for uh, for 
wrestlers, essentially. And it'll be interesting to see if they try to get that sort of creative team. I don't think they're going to make up stuff. Obviously, even though I do think some of the guys that are in the UFC have already kind of tilted in that direction of just kind of making personalities, creating these personalities to become more interesting uh, and people want to watch more fights or watch them get knocked out more or watch them become the villain more, um, you know, just because of who they are, uh, who their who their personality, uh, who they're kind of creating as a personality. I think that is something that is already happening in the UFC. But I think the WWE can actually, uh, whatever the creative head is over there, who whatever they want to do now that they're partnered and uh, under one roof, essentially. I am curious to see if the WWE has some sort of a, um, not a full-on partnership with the UFC, but maybe some sort of creative partnership with the UFC to make the storylines uh, of each fight maybe a tad bit more interesting. You know, maybe they give each one of these fighters some sort of, even though a lot of them are, they do have an interesting story regardless, um, but give them more of a character, even the, I mean, the ones that maybe don't have necessarily the most interesting character, they can give them some sort of a character that they can play or whatever. And that's only going to sell more pay-per-views. I would be, uh, with the partnership that they're making with the UFC Endeavor, basically buying WWE and putting them, uh, WWE and UFC under one roof. I would, I, it would stun me to see that they both, um, would be separated. I, I cannot imagine a situation where they're both under one roof and they are completely separate from one another. I think they're just too um, similar in what they're trying to do. Uh, and the UFC has already kind of gotten into the direction, like I said before, a little bit in the types of storylines and the characters, not net, not nearly uh, as you know flamboyant or anything like that as the WWE, but there's certainly people playing uh, I think characters in the UFC that are just trying to sell pay-per-views because that's how you make your money in that game. You can't make it in any other fashion or any other way than becoming the headliner of a pay-per-view and winning that, winning those fights. So I think it's already happening, but we'll see if the UFC uh, ends up getting their hands on it, even maybe even a little bit more. And then I also think that some of the trash talk that they do now can come off at times as a little bit corny. Like I won't lie to you, some of it is a little bit cringy at times. Uh, but I mean, the one that, oh man, Izzy, Izzy's one of the best in the world at what he does when it comes to trash talking after pre-fight and then post-fight his arrow, uh, arrow celebration after knocking out Alex Pereira, after Alex came in doing the arrow, uh, doing the bow and arrow, uh, thing, whatever celebration before he even got into the ring. Once Izzy did that, one of the coldest pictures you'll see is Izzy's, uh, drawing the arrow back and firing at Alex Pereira as he's lying on the ground, knocked out. And then taunting his child, which is just the most diabolical, unbelievable. If you saw that in any other sport, you'd be like, that guy, disgusting. You cannot be doing that. But the fact that, I mean, so the story behind it, if you're unaware, Alex Pereira's kid after Izzy got knocked out, the very first time they fought back in uh, when they were kickboxing in Brazil, um, Alex Pereira's kid came in. I mean, he was a child, you know, an eight-year-old or something like that, uh, came in and like, you know, faked Fane knocked out next to Izzy, like really taunting him in this, in the, in the, in the ring. Uh, and then somehow Izzy just kept that balled up for the next, however long was five, seven years or whatever. Uh, just kept it balled up and waited. And then when he knocked out Alex Pereira, he went and sought out in the octagon. He sought out his uh, Alex Pereira's son in the crowd, pointed at him and fake knocked out. And it is one of the great, one of the great, 
uh, one of the great clips you'll see is that him faking knocking out and then seeing like just the kid crying, which is, you know, that's it's sad. I, I mean, not necessarily. I don't want to say it's sad because it's the combat sports game. I mean, you know, you have to kind of uh, be aware that your kid is going to probably at some point see your dad get knocked out. I don't think that's out of the question. They probably have had that conversation. They probably sat down and talked to their children about that before. Uh, but. To see it, I mean, he, he learned, a, the child learned a very valuable lesson, uh, you know, mess around and find out, you know what I mean? If you can't take it, you can't, you shouldn't dish it, you know what I mean? And Izzy, he was like, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to do it. I mean, of course he's flying high at that point and you know, he doesn't, not that the kid doesn't deserve it, but I'm, I'm happy for Izzy. I, I'm happy that um, he somehow figured, remembered that entire situation play out uh, and he was able to leave a dish that was best served cold. Uh, on the mat and uh it was uh it was cool I, I i thought it was cool i thought it was a lot of people really got angry about it for some reason even though i mean look it's 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 combat sports like i said we're, we're talking about you're you're very much getting down to the very bare bones of human beings where it's just you and me in this in this octagon we're alone other than the referee but he's you know we don't pay attention to him we're trying to essentially kill one another. And when I do it successfully, not kill, when I when I successfully put you to the point where you cannot fight me anymore, I'm going to celebrate like a madman, which is fair. You know, I've never been in that situation. I could not understand. But that feeling has got to be one of the craziest feelings in the world after you just took this guy one on one, a battle to the quote unquote death. And you beat him, knocked him out to where he cannot do anything anymore. You, I, I, I bet he felt like he could run around the entire arena at that point. Uh, one of the, one of the cooler, one of the cooler moments, one of the coolest photos we ever got uh, during that fight with Izzy and the bow and arrow, the fake bow and arrow uh, shot towards Alex Pereira. It was just, it was a good fight and it was a good card overall. I would say it was a, they put on good shows at the UFC. I don't love Dana White. Like I said, I'm not a fan of what he does to the UFC. I think the the fighters are drastically, drastically underpaid in that sport. Um, but they put on good shows and I got a tip. I got to give a tip of the cap to that. Fair enough to them. All right, I had that written down as my intro. My intro was the UFC copium. That's what I was going to talk about. So that's the intro, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Weekend Sports Rep Podcast. I'm very pleased. Thank you very much for tuning in. I'm very happy that you're here. Uh, please remember to uh, rate and follow the podcast. We are sponsored here today by Jack and Kathleen Wood at 307 Real Estate. We're going to hear from them here in just a little bit. Uh, and uh, thank you to them, obviously, for sponsoring the show. And uh, if you're listening to this, make sure you tell your buddies, tell your friends everywhere. Listen to the Weekend Sports Rep podcast. It's a Sheridan-based, Sheridan-Wyoming-based sports podcast about some national sports. We'll get into a little regional sports every now and again. And it's just sports. You know, we're talking sports here. And it's, uh, it's a good time. So tell your friends, tell your buddies to listen, tune in. Greatly appreciate that. And leave a rating if you wouldn't mind. Uh, follow the show on any of your podcasting platforms. You can listen to them anywhere. It doesn't have to be sharedmedia.com, but if you want to listen to it there, you can. If you don't want to listen to it there, you can listen to it on any of your podcasting platforms. Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, you name it, it's there. Uh, just look up Weekend Sports Wrap Podcast, and it should be right there when you type it in. So thank you very much for tuning in. Thanks to Jack and Kathleen Wood uh, for sponsoring the show. We'll for, hear from them here in just a little bit. And today, ladies and gentlemen, after that UFC intro, we're going to talk about it's NBA playoff time. This does have some regional, uh, this has some some regional uh, twist to it or a taste of regionality to it. You know, uh, we've got the Nuggets. The Nuggets are the one seed in the West, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, not the favorite to make it out of the West uh, in terms of sports betting, but 
the one seed in the West, nonetheless, they had the best record in the Western Conference, uh, the, which means they were the best regular season team, quote unquote, if you want to look at it that way. Sure. Uh, they are the one seed in the Western Conference. We'll, we'll give a little bit of a preview of their matchup, and uh, they don't have a matchup yet because we still have to do the plan. But uh, where they're at in the postseason and how the outlook kind of looks, how they got here. We'll talk about the Nuggets here in just a little bit. We're going to start, though, on the Eastern side, the Eastern Conference of the bracket. We're going to start with the plan. I'm going to kind of give a preview of each of the teams that are in uh, the playoffs right now. We have the play-in tournament that starts tonight as of recording this Tuesday the 11th. If you're listening to this after, I apologize. Uh, but as of tonight, as of today, Tuesday, April 11th, we still have the play-in games to get to. So we're going to get through all these teams, uh, kind of give a preview of each one. So let's kick it off. We're going to start in the Eastern Conference. The Miami Heat, they're the seventh seed. They're one of the slowest teams in the postseason. They're 29th in the league in pace with 96.8 possessions per game. That's very slow. Star Jimmy Butler is having a career. He's having a career second half, ladies and gentlemen. He's averaging 26 points, six rebounds, and 5.3 assists in the month of March. He always plays better in the playoffs as well. One of two active players who has raised their points per game, rebounds per game, and assists per game in the postseason out of 100 playoff games. He's very good, very fun to watch. Uh, he was basically a three-point shot away from making it to the finals again last year against the Celtics. Uh, and, I mean, literally, if you go back and watch that game, just uh, basically a dribble out of winning the uh, winning the Eastern Conference Finals and going to the finals again. Uh, but... That didn't happen. Now they're the seventh seed this year. It's a worse team than they were last year. I don't think they're going to be that good or make it that far this year. Um, but they're still a pretty solid defensive team as well coming into the playoffs with a defensive rating of 112.8. Good for ninth in the NBA. However, their offense really can hit some bumps in the road. And if it's not running through Jimmy, Bam Adebayo, if Bam Adebayo shows up, he's struggled in the postseason at times. He's really lost his, uh, sometimes his composure in the playoffs does not kind of, kind of come, come, becomes a shell of himself at times. Um, but we'll see if it's the real Bam. Uh, that comes to play for the Heat. Uh, and if it's not him or Tyler Hero, if he is hot, then the offense can really, really hit a standstill. So that's the Heat. We have the eight-seeded Hawks in the Eastern Conference. The Heat play the Hawks for the uh, for the play-in, and the Heat have dominated the Hawks in recent years in this series. I think it's a, they're at home as well. The Heat are at home, and I think they're like 16, 17, and 2 against the Hawks in Miami the last like two or three seasons or something like that. And during the regular season of the last four years, the Heat are the the Heat have won three of the last three out of the four in the regular season meetings out of the three of the last four years, if that makes sense. So uh, it has been it's a bad draw for the Hawks, uh, but the Heat have played very good. But and here's this is the crazy stat for the Hawks. Hawks weird season for the Hawks. They completed one of the weirdest seasons uh, I think we've ever seen. No team has ever been more middle of the road than this team. They went forty one and forty one overall, perfectly five hundred. Uh, which included 26 and 26 against the East, 15 and 15 against the West. They were 24 and 17 at home, 17 and 24 on the road. They scored 118.4 points per game and allowed 118.1 points per game on defense. And for 33 straight games, they managed to stay one game within 500. One of the weirdly most perfectly balanced teams uh, in like a bad way that I've ever seen. Their record is really odd. If you go through and look like at some of the stats that they have, uh, it's just like the perfect example of a mid team, just very middle of the pack. Um, Trey Young, he bounced onto the scene back in 2020, 2021 and his first playoff run when he took down the Knicks with three straight 30 point games, got all the way to the conference finals, taking out the Sixers on the way as well. However, 
His second playoff run last year was not nearly as successful, averaging just 15.4 points per game on 31.9% shooting, and he got bounced in the first round against these very same Miami Heat. Granted, different team, uh, the Heat are just in general, but uh, Trey Young has not played very well against the Heat uh, in recent years, so we'll see. It's a bad matchup for the Hawks. Uh, not very good. Uh, the Hawks, they did go through a, a midseason coaching change, though. They fired Nick McMillan in late February, and almost immediately they hired Quinn Snyder, former Jazz head coach. And since then, the Hawks' offense has put up the second most points per game in the league, only behind the Bucks. And they've also become very effective rebounding team, averaging the second highest offensive rebounding percentage and the most second chance points since hiring Quinn Snyder. So a little bit of a change there once they fired Nate McMillan, went to Quinn Snyder. Quinn Snyder, I think, is a very decent, pretty good head coach, I would say. Um, he did some uh, some interesting stuff with the Jazz when he was the head coach there. Never really got further than, was it the second round, I think? I don't know if they, I don't think they ever made the conference finals. I could be wrong, though. Uh, but I don't think they got past the second round, if I can remember correctly. Uh, but he coached Donovan Mitchell when they had Rudy Gobert as well. I mean, it was a pretty solid team. Very good defensive team uh, when, they, when he was around with the Jazz. Um, we'll see if that has any, any sort of implementation into the Hawks when it comes to uh, playoff basketball. We'll see. Uh, I don't have a lot of hope for the Hawks, to be honest with you, in their in their playing matchup. I just think the Heat are a really bad matchup for that team and Trey Young in general. I just think they kind of have Trey Young and the Hawks figured out right now. Uh, so I don't think that's a I, that's going to be a short trip for the Hawks, in my opinion. Uh, the nine seeded Toronto Raptors. The Raptors they love to run transition. They have one of the absolute worst half court offenses in terms of points per play. They make up for it in transition play. However, no team that has ranked so low in points per play in the half court and won a playoff series since 2013. So no no team has scored as badly as they have in the half court and won a playoff series since 2013. So basically 10 years uh, that a team as bad as they have been in the half court has won a playoff series. And I don't think that's going to change this year either. Uh, but they do have one of the best perimeter defenders in the league in OG Ananubi. He is one of four rotation players in the entire NBA who have both defended players with an average usage rate of 26% or higher and have a steal rate of 0.02 or better. But Ananubi is the only one who also averages more than 10.1 points per game. He's very good. I thought he was going to get traded during the trade deadline, to be honest with you, because it feels like it always feels like halfway through the season, the Raptors look like they want to blow it up, uh, even though they just re-signed Fred Van Vliet to a long-term deal. He, he seems like he's going to try to be the perennial piece that they keep forever. But it always feels like they're going to try to blow it up at some point. Ever since Kawhi left, they're going to try to just start over. Uh, but they kept Fran Van Vliet. Pascal Siakam is still there. Uh, OG Anubi is still there. At some point, I have to imagine they're just going to be like, all right, this is enough. Even though I, it, that happens every single season uh, where I'm like, okay, this is this is where they need to start blowing things up. Then, 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 then they don't blow it up. They just keep it. It's weird. I don't know what the Raptors are doing. Uh, then we have the 10 seed at Chicago Bulls. Uh, and Anubi's defense for the Raptors, he will th that will come into play big time against their opponent, the Chicago Bulls, a team that is headlined by their superstar guard, Zach Levine. He's been playing very well since the All-Star break, uh, averaging 27 points on 53% shooting and 39% from three. Even with Levine's effectiveness from three, though, they do not shoot uh, three balls very many. The Bulls finished last in both three-point three point makes and attempts, surviving on a heavy diet of mid-range shots from their best players like DeMar DeRozan. They are a pretty solid defensive team, uh, the fifth-best defensive rating in the league, and the 24th-ranked offensive rating. Uh, that's a This is a weird matchup. I think I'm probably going to lean a little bit more towards the Bulls, to be honest with you, because I think Levine is uh, very good, and DeRozan's very good. He's also been kind of flying under the radar as well. Uh, but we'll see. I mean, either one of these teams, I don't see them getting past the first round regardless, but 
that's what the plan's for, huh? We're going to see whoever, who wants to become the eighth seed, if you will. Uh, all right, let's move on to, we're going to go one through six now in the Eastern Conference. The one-seeded Bucks they clinched the best record in the NBA, uh, and they won a championship just two years ago, 2020-2021. And uh, this feels like their deepest team, even though they did win the championships in 2020-2021. This feels like their deepest team. Brooke Lopez, Drew Holiday, they're both arguably playing their best season since joining the Bucs. And then they added Jay Crowder at the trade deadline, and then former Jazz swingman Joe Ingles uh, is playing for the Bucs, and he's shooting 40% from three. A very, very deep team that the Bucs have. And when it comes to playoff time, uh, bench depth is a... A uh, underutilized feels like uh, that's not something that we like to talk about very much. Uh, just in general, it's all about the big three, who's got the most stars, that sort of thing. Obviously, uh, which stars can lead their team to victory, and that's true, obviously. But bench depth is also very something something that's very important. I think that uh, we kind of let slide under the rug for the most part uh, when it comes to playoff basketball. Uh, superstar Giannis Antetokounmpo. Uh, he's coming off arguably his best year as well, averaging 31 points uh, per game, 55% shooting with 11.8 rebounds per game and 5.7 assists. He's the first player to put up those numbers since Wilt Chamberlain, arguably an MVP. We can discuss that if you want. It's basically a three-man race for MVP, even though it feels like Joel Embiid is probably going to win it. Fair enough. Deserves it as well. Uh, But Giannis has been absolutely unbelievable this season as well. Uh, Giannis is all-star sidekick uh, as well. Uh, Chris Middleton, he suffered an injury in last year's playoffs, which basically derailed the entire chance that they had for going back to back. Uh, but now Middleton is back starting to regain his form. He only appeared in 33 games this season, but since rejoining the starting lineup back in March, uh, he averaged 20 points on 47%. However, with Middleton, uh, their, af- their offense last season did stagnate a little bit and, uh, they didn't look great this year, uh, without him as well. They entered this year's playoffs with just the 15th best offensive rating in the NBA. Their defense is ranked fourth in the rating, but could their offense be middle of the pack? Uh, their offense middle of the pack hurt them again. We'll see. I, I, I don't think so. I think the Bucs are just too good to be messing around with like an eight seed or something like that. But when it comes down to the semis, the conference finals is a different story. Uh, there are a lot of very good teams in the Eastern Conference. Probably, I, I think the champion is probably going to come out of the Eastern Conference Um, more so than I believe in the Western Conference, to be honest with you, but we'll get to that in a little bit. Uh, Two-seeded, Boston Celtics. Boston, they started off the season crazy hot. They led the league in scoring offenses, essentially every other major category for like two months. Uh, But since December 8th, they ranked ninth in offensive efficiency, partly because they led the league in three-point shooting uh, those first two months, shooting like 40%. Uh, but they fell back down to earth, down to 36%. Not a huge jump, but definitely a little bit of a drop-off there. They still have a fantastic two-way tandem in Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown. Tatum averaged uh, 30.1 points per game, and Brown averaged 26.6 per game. That's only the second pair of Celtics to average 25 points per game in the same season since Larry Bird and Kevin McHale did it back in 1986 and 1987. They are the definition, uh, outside of the Golden State Warriors, the absolute definition of a jump shooting team. They are second in the league in three-point attempts behind only the Warriors, obviously. They also rank 28th in free throw attempts per game with more than half of them coming from Tatum and Brown. Uh, and they also enter the playoffs sporting the best point differential in the league at plus 6.5, the second best offensive rating, and the second best defensive rating in the league. Uh, this team is probably my pick. If I were to pick somebody to come out of the East, I think I'm going to pick Boston. Uh, the Bucks are scary, but they do have issues at offense at t- uh, with offense at times. And it just feels like the Bucks are, I mean, the Bucks are, power, or excuse me, the Celtics Celtics are a powerhouse. Uh, they played very well all season long. 
not as not as good at the very beginning of the year, obviously, when it looked like they were just going to walk away, uh, run away with the Eastern Conference. Uh, but I still feel like this team uh, is is probably the best in the East right now. Uh, moving on, though, three-seeded Sixers. Sixers, another team that's quietly been very good. Uh, maybe not quietly. That's probably the wrong term. But maybe uh, this is quietly their best team, it feels like. is Maybe that's probably the better terminology, I want to say. Uh, the Sixers, they also have a star duo. Joel Embiid, James Harden, they just made history. They became the first pair of teammates to lead the league in scoring. With Embiid, 33.1 per game. And assists, James Harden with 10.7 per game. Since George Gervin and Johnny Moore with the Spurs back in 1981 and 1982, the first time that's happened in like 40 years, I guess, essentially. Uh, Embiid is also the first center to win back-to-back scoring titles since Bob McAdoo back in when, when he won three in a row back in 1973-1976. The big man is back, ladies and gentlemen. Joel Embiid is the new big man. He's got to be able to shoot from three. He's got to be able to have some sort of distance on him. He's not He's not the Tim Duncans no more. No offense to Tim Duncans. Obviously, love Tim Duncan. Uh, one of the greatest players of all time. He's not, he can't be Shaq anymore, though. You know, you got to be able to have some distance. Got to be able to shoot the three. That's the new version of the uh, the center that we are seeing, and it's Joel Embiid, and that's why he's leading the league in scoring for the second season in a row. Uh, those two also run both Harden and Embiid, run one of the most effective and unstoppable plays in the league. The Sixers generate 17.5 points per game directly off of plays where Embiid sets an on-ball screen for Harden. So essentially, when Embiid is running a pick-and-roll with James Harden, it's essentially unstoppable, and they score 17.5 points per game just off of that play alone. Unreal. Uh, and that's, and you know, it's a reason that's been, I mean, that's basically what the Spurs won championships on was the pick and roll with Tim Duncan and Tony Parker, Tim Duncan and Manu Ginobili, and the list goes on and on. Uh, that's that's how they won games for or championships for that long. And uh, we're seeing the Sixers kind of use that, utilize that as well with uh, Harden and Embiid. We'll see if, uh, if, if they can keep it rolling all the way through the Eastern Conference. I don't know. We'll see. A, a deep run could hinge on the defensive ability of both Tyrese Maxey, James Harden, Harden is pretty well known for his lack of defensive ability. We've all seen the clips, obviously. Uh, he hasn't been, not been as bad in recent. I mean, like as the Rockets, the Rockets Harden, obviously, uh, but still not the best defensive player in the world when it comes to guard play. Uh, Maxi hasn't been the best defensively either. So uh, it'll be interesting how the Sixers will use both of them. If they're going to be able to use both of them at the same time, or they're going to have to stagger minutes. So the defense isn't uh, hurting too bad. Uh, we'll have to see that that's a big situation that they're going to have to uh, pay attention to. Uh, they will enter the postseason. The Sixers will enter the postseason with the third best point differential at plus 4.3 and the third best offensive rating and the eighth best defensive rating. Uh, the four seed Cleveland Cavaliers, maybe the most surprising team. Uh, if not the team that is next to them, I would say this is the most surprising team. They entered the postseason off the back of Donovan Mitchell. He had a 71-point game earlier this season. He passed LeBron for the most 40-point games in a season in, a ca- in Cavs history with 12 and was a seamless fit uh, with the Cavs in his first year with them. He had by f- he has by far the most playoff experience of this team. Mitchell's 28.3 postseason uh, points per game is the seventh highest in NBA history. The rest of the Cavs, though, they're basically all new to the postseason. It's the Cavaliers' first appearance to the postseason without LeBron since 1997-1998. I was born in July of 1997. Playoffs started June. I hadn't been born yet. Yeah, I hadn't been born. Yeah, I hadn't been born yet when the Cavaliers last played in a postseason appearance without LeBron James. That's weird. Now they have one of the most youngest and most inexperienced teams in the field. Darius Garland, Evan Mobley, they will be making their postseason debuts. Jared Allen, Karis LeVert, 
each have a pair of first round exits. I think they did that with the Nets, if I can remember correctly. Could be wrong there, but I think Jared Allen and Karis LeVert both. I think that's right. When they were playing with the Nets and they lost to the Bucks like two seasons ago. Could be wrong. Totally guessing. I think that's right, though. Uh, so they have a pair of first round exits as well. Uh, but that's basically it. It's Donovan Mitchell, Jared Allen, Karis LeVert. That is essentially all the postseason experience that the Cavs had at, have as the uh, as the four seed coming into uh, coming into the postseason here. Uh, even though they too, they have two fantastic scores in Mitchell and Garland, they have not been very good in crunch time. The Cavs rank 20th in clunch time, crutch, clutch time offense, excuse me, and 19th in effective field goal percentage during those clutch time, clutch time situations during the season. Uh, and they will enter the postseason with the second best point differential in the NBA at five point, plus 5.4, the eighth best offensive rating and the best, the number one defensive rating uh, over the entire season. We'll be, it'll be interesting to see how they play with that clutch rating. Uh, I mean, obviously it's the playoffs. It's a four seed versus a five seed that clutch rating should come into play a little bit. And we'll see if the Cavs are able to kind of turn that around a little bit more during the postseason. But that's not, I mean, the postseason is not really a place uh, where you learn that sort of stuff. That's something that, I mean, you'd use the regular season to learn your clutch time uh, abilities and your tactics for the postseason, not the other way around. Uh, speaking of the five seed, the five seed in New York Knicks, ladies and gentlemen, the Knickerbockers are back in the postseason. They have surprised maybe everyone more than the Cavs have. They have found a mini big three of their own in Julius Randle, Jalen Brunson, RJ Barrett. Uh, that mini big three have scored 20 plus points in the same game 12 times, which is tied for the most by a Knicks trio uh, with Willie Nollis, Richie Guerin, and Johnny Green, who did it back in 1961. If that's not a sign of the times for the Knicks, I don't know what is. Uh, they'll be taking on Cleveland, obviously, in the first round. In that matchup, they'll be taking on their main offseason target from the last offseason in Donovan Mitchell. The Knicks were really, they were they were diving in hard to go and get Mitchell during the offseason from, uh, from Utah. They were going to try to trade for him to get Donovan Mitchell, but it didn't happen that way. Didn't ha- uh, It felt like it was destined for Mitchell to get to New York because he grew up in the New York metropolitan area. Everybody thought he was going to become a Nick. And then for some reason, the Cavs snuck in. They were like, hey, how are you? And they offered the Jazz a better deal. And here we are. Now Donovan Mitchell's in a Cavs jersey. We'll see if we get a little revenge game, more or less, a revenge series from Donovan Mitchell. Hey, you missed out on me, that car, and that, and that sort of thing. You know, we'll, we'll, it'll be interesting to see. I think, the, I think the Cavs are the better team overall than the Knicks, to be honest with you. Um, but we'll see. I mean, it feels like the Knicks are, this is one of their better teams that they've had coming into the postseason uh, in recent memory, just in terms of, Offensive firepower with Jalen Brunson, uh, RJ Barrett, and uh, and Julius Randle, obviously. Um, they also they they rely on the Knicks. They rely a lot on ISO ball. This is not a team you want to watch if you're a fan of the beautiful game of passing the ball around and that sort of thing. This is not the team you want to watch. Uh, they rely on ISO ball, second chance points. They're dead last in assist percentage by significant margin, uh, margin, uh, but still somehow finished fourth in offensive efficiency. So the ISO ball. Somehow was working. However, they also had a similar style of offense that they ran two years ago that ran through Julius Randle that was kind of ground to a halt and picked apart by the Hawks in five games. We talked about that series a little bit ago. They're much more effective at getting offensive rebounds this time around, though, with Mitchell Robinson grabbing more than four per game, second behind only Steven Adams uh, from the Memphis Grizzlies, and Steven Adams now injured as well. So M- Mitchell Robinson's coming in as one of the, uh, if not the best offensive rebounder in the postseason uh, right now. So that is the five-seater. Let's move on to the six-seeded Brooklyn Nets. The Nets, weird team. Um Basically, a completely different looking team from what we saw at the beginning of the year. They had Kyrie Irving. They had Kevin Durant. It felt like we were just a little bit away from 
that team just it felt like we were always just waiting on Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving to figure it out, you know, to figure it out because they could be well, two of the best, the one of the best tandems the league's ever seen, just in terms of scoring ability. Uh, but then it was all over. They basically looked like they were punting on the season early in the year to the trade deadline when they were getting rid of uh, Kevin Durant. They sent him to the Suns. They sent Kyrie Irving to the Mavericks a little bit before that. However, they may have been netting. They, they may have netted a budding superstar in Mikel Bridges from the Suns. Bridges had 11 30-point performances with the Nets in the short amount of time he was there during the regular season after just having two in 365 games with the Suns. He also just became the very first player in NBA history to appear in 83 games in one season since Josh Smith did it back in 2014 to 2015. He is only the 42nd player in NBA history to play 83 games in the regular season. They've also had very good point guard play from Spencer Dinwiddie, who they just acquired from the Mavericks in the Kyrie trade as well. Dinwiddie is averaging 8.5 assists per game since returning to Brooklyn, which ranks sixth in the NBA during that span. That's after ranking 43rd in assists per game uh, before joining the Nets. So, very interesting team. The Nets, I really thought they were punting. I thought it was over. I felt bad for the Nets fan base because they kind of got a lot of garbage. Uh, not necessarily from Kevin Durant, but Kyrie was, I mean, he was getting a little weird over there, to be honest with you. Uh, and that's kind of been the same for the Mavericks. We saw what happened to the Mavericks. I don't blame what happened to the Mavericks solely on Kyrie Irving, by the way. I'm not going to do that. Uh, if anything, I'm going to blame it on Mark Cuban because it was a terrible constructed team that he tried to build during the trade deadline. Uh, but, you know, uh, it just didn't work out very well with him and the Nets either. So uh, it's interesting Interesting to see that the Nets, maybe they thought they were punting on the season more or less and maybe start over with Mikael Bridges, Spencer Dinwiddie at the beginning of next season. But then they kind of rolled things together and they rolled Cam Thomas as well, has played very well for the Nets. Uh, and uh, they've kind of rolled things together and gotten a sixth seed in the East, which, and uh, depending on who they play, I can't remember off the top of my head, the Sixers, that's a tough matchup. Don't think they're going to beat the Sixers, but who knows? I mean, you know, we've seen upsets before. NBA, it's hard to find uh, It's hard to find upsets in a series in the NBA just because it's a lot less random than the other series. Uh, maybe the, uh, hockey's up there, obviously, but uh, baseball uh, is completely random. But, uh, you know, you can have... You can have four guys play very well or pitch very well in baseball, and you're basically sweeping as the wild card team, the number one team in uh, in the uh, in the the divisional round or whatever. But uh, basketball, it's a lot more methodical, and it's a lot harder to find consistent luck that way. I would say, and um, you rely a lot more heavily on the budding superstars that you or the superstars that you actually have on your team versus the collective. Uh, the collective group of the entire team, if that makes sense, even though a lot of people probably don't want to hear that and they don't necessarily agree with that. Uh, there are things that teams in general do better uh, that lead to championships. But for the most part, you're going to rely on the big names on your team in order to get you to the promised land. That is the NBA. That's just how it works. And we love it. You know, that's just how it works. And the Nets right now, they got Mikhail Bridges. I don't know if he's a superstar, quote unquote, just yet. And, you know, the Sixers, they got Harden and Embiid. Definite superstars. So, and they play, they've been playing lights out. So, uh, I don't know if that's upset territory for them, but we'll see. I mean, who knows? Uh, it's going to be interesting. Uh, Western Conference, let's move over to the West. We love the West. Ladies and gentlemen, it is time for a break to hear from one of our sponsors. That is right, a sponsor of the program. We have our first sponsor on this program in the history of the program, and it is Jack and Kathleen Wood. 
at 307 Real Estate. Now, look, ladies and gentlemen, I get it. You got to navigate the real estate market. It is impossible. Everybody on House Hunters makes it look super easy. They just go into three different houses and they pick the house they want. Boom, bang, boom. Episode's over. They have a house. It's not that easy, ladies and gentlemen. And Jack and Kathleen Wood will be able to help you throughout that process. And even the people in House Hunters, they have a real estate agent. And these people, Jack Wood, Kathleen Wood at 307 Real Estate could be your House Hunter-esque real estate agents. So if you're looking to buy real estate, sell real estate in the Sheridan area, these are the two people you should call Jack at 307-763-1249 and Kathleen at 307-461-7203. So listeners, one of the only things I'll ask from you is to support the people that support the show. And that includes these two, Jack and Kathleen Wood at 307 Real Estate. Thank you very much for the sponsorship and make sure you contact them for all of your real estate needs at 307-763-1249 and 307-461-7203. In the play-in, we've got the Los Angeles Lakers. Uh, you don't want to pick against LeBron and Anthony Davis, understandably. Uh, if they're both suited up, it's a very good team. They went 16-5 on their way to a ring when they was in the bubble. They played together in the bubble with Davis averaging 27.7 points on 57% shooting. James averaged 27.6 on 56% shooting. However, the Lakers are going to have a shot to make a run. Both of them need to stay healthy throughout the playoffs. And uh, in the basically this season, it's been kind of a tough ask. So we'll see, uh, you know, uh, if one of, like I said, if one of them gets injured, the entire thing is screwed. Uh, it's over. They're already playing from behind because they're going to be either the seven or the eight seed. Uh, and they're going to have to play either the Nuggets or the Grizzlies. Tough, mad. Even though I, I can see LeBron in Lakers ousting the Grizzlies. I could see that, especially with Steven Adams going out. There's some injury issues there. I think they really, I mean, obviously they're going to be pushing for the seven seed. They don't want to play the Nuggets in the first round, obviously. So they're going to be pushing hard for that seven seed. And I could see them take that, take that first round matchup. But just in general, if either one of them, either one of LeBron James or Anthony Davis go down, it's over. The entire thing is, the entire thing is screwed. They're not going to be able to beat Memphis or Denver, obviously, without either one of them. So um, that's a, a big, uh, a big, a big, a big if right there. Um, they also added some more. They made some acquisitions during the trade deadline. They added a more fitting star in the entire process. And D'Angelo Russell at the trade deadline after the disaster of a test run that Russell Westbrook was. Uh, since D'Angelo Russell came into the team, he joined the tandem of James Davis and Russell are eight and one when they play together. Uh, and the defense was a complete disaster at the start of the season with that group, with the, the group that they did have. Um, however, since the trade deadline, once they made a bunch of acquisitions, claimed waiver people, uh, has been, they have been one of the best in the, in the West in terms of, uh, defensive efficiency and third overall, uh, in defensive efficiency. So some good additions for the Los Angeles Lakers at the trade deadline, at least for now, it looks like they've been good additions. We'll see how they pan out, pan out, pan out during the playoffs. Uh, and then we have the Minnesota Timberwolves boy. Oh boy. The Timberwolves. What a disaster. I, I feel really bad for the, for Timberwolves fans out there. I really do. I feel for you because this was supposed to be the team, right? We saw last year, Patrick Beverly, uh, throwing his shirt, his jersey into the stands after winning the plan tournament or whatever, beating the Clippers in the plan, uh, just throwing his jersey into the stands. It was like they won the NBA title, and this was supposed to be the year that they have everything together. They fit all the pieces together. This was going to be the year that they make a run, right? Uh, they go out, they get Rudy Gobert, uh, who the they basically traded their entire future for Rudy Gobert. Uh, a weird trade to trade your entire future for. You have Carl Anthony Towns. 
don't th- I didn't think those two would work out together next to each other, to be honest with you. It kind of hasn't really worked out either, to be honest with you. They come in as an eight seed, trying to play in the playing tournament once again, and uh, they're coming off arguably the most embarrassing moment of the past weekend. Uh, Rudy Gobert, who they just traded everything for, he's going to be out for this first play-in game uh, because he got into a physical altercation during the season finale uh, with fellow teammate Kyle Anderson. Uh, Rudy Gobert literally punched Kyle Anderson in the chest, uh, swung some fists at him. Uh, they also lost their defensive stopper and Jaden McDaniels in the same game after fracturing his hand, punching a wall late in the first quarter. So Jaden McDaniels is out for this first game. Uh, Jaden McDaniels is out, out. I mean, he's he's not going to probably play in the rest of this postseason. Uh, Rudy Gobert, though, he's done for this first game. So whatever happens in this first game, they're going to have to play one more. Uh, if they if they win, I don't think they play one more. If they win, then they move on. If they lose, then they'll have to play one more. Uh, but losing Rudy, Rudy Gobert, regardless of how you feel with the fin of that team, not a great loss. That's a tough loss. Uh, and then Jaden McDaniels, he was one of just six players this season to defend 2020-2022-2023 uh, All-Stars at least 1,000 times this season and ranked in top 10 in field goal percentage allowed as the closest defender among players to defend 600 shots. A defensive stopper, uh, that, that is a tough loss for the Minnesota Timberwolves. And uh, again, A-Rod curse. I mean, that's that's what it is. It's the A-Rod curse. Uh, but positive for the Timberwolves. Let's, let's, let's get a positive thing in there. Anthony Edwards is going to be one of the best players in this league, I think, in just a few years. He's a fantastic scorer. He can score from anywhere. He's an f- he, incredible scorer. Uh, he had a frustrating start to the season, but when Carl Anthony Towns went down for like three months, Edwards stepped up his game, bumping up his scoring to a career-high 24.6 points per game and didn't sacrifice any efficiency in the process while having 24 30-point games this season, the second most in Timberwolves history. We'll see if they get out of the plan. At this point, there's so much noise around that team. I don't think they'll make it out of the plan, to be honest with you. I think this has kind of been a disaster. Uh, and that's very unfortunate because they traded everything for Rudy Gobert and the fact that he made that dumb decision to basically get him to spend himself uh, for one game in the plan. The fact that they're a seven seed in the first place is already a bad situation. Um, but we'll see what they do. I, tough situation for. Uh, for the Timberwolves. Uh, the nine seed, we have the New Orleans Pelicans. Uh, they're going to be without star player Zion Williamson, who hasn't played since January 2nd because of a right hamstring strain. Uh, before Williamson went down, they had a pretty good big three that hasn't played, hasn't been talked about that much. It was Williamson, Brandon Ingram, CJ McCollum, but they were only able to play 10 games together. But in those 172 minutes, they played together. They were a plus 60 in plus minus. All three of the Shars have dealt with injuries throughout the season, though. Uh, Ingram missed like two months with a toe injury. McCollum has played through a thumb injury for months. And then Williamson, obviously, down with the hamstring. Uh, one positive that's come out of that, though, those injuries, Trey Murphy the third has been a welcome surprise. Uh, he is set to be a key piece off the bench for the Pels. But because of the plethora of injuries, he was thrusted into the starting lineup. And his scoring went from like 5.4 points per game to 14.5 points per game. And even since the All-Star break, he's raised his scoring average to 18.4 points per game while shooting 42% from three. So a welcome surprise for the Pelicans. Uh, they, this was one of the best teams in the NBA towards the beginning of the season uh, before the injuries started hitting them. I think they were like the one or the two seed for just a little while. And then Zion Williamson went down. Brandon Ingram was struggling with an injury as well. And then C.J. McCollum, obviously, in struggling with injury as well. So injuries have really hurt this team, uh, putting them all the way down into the plan after starting as the one and the two seed for the first few months of the season. Uh, but nonetheless, here they are. They're not going to have Williamson. Brandon Ingram is a stud. 
uh, but we'll see if he can kind of carry them into uh, the next round of the playoffs. And the 10 seed, the number 10 seed, the team that everybody loved to tank about, talk about, talk about tanking about the Oklahoma City Thunder. They're back. This is my team, ladies and gentlemen. In case you're unaware, this is my favorite basketball team. Uh, I love watching them. They're the, the best team of all time. I'm being facetious. Uh, the Thunder, though, they run through Shy Gilgis Alexander. Uh, it plays a little bit more of an old school style. Uh, if you haven't watched him, he's averaging 23.9 drives per game, which is three more than anyone else in the entire league. He gets to the foul line. He, he likes the mid-range jump shot. Uh, he can shoot the three if he wants to, uh, and he's pretty good at it when he does want to shoot the three, but he loves to drive the ball. He's a very good finisher, very effective in the mid-range as well. They basically have no playoff experience, though, on their team. They have a combined league low 55 playoff games to date, and nearly half of them come from Dario Saric, who they acquired halfway through the season and has been on the fringes of the rotation anyways. Uh, Shai has a couple first-round series to his credit when he was with the Clippers and then uh, kind of uh, a couple years ago with the uh, the Thunder as well. Uh, but this could be a launching pad for years to come, I would say, for the Thunder. They're by far the youngest combined age team in the playoffs. The Oral Roberts men's basketball team, who just lost in the first round of the NCAA tournament, at a higher average age on their roster than the Oklahoma City Thunder. So, as a fan, I'm not expecting... Uh, actually, hold on. From the podcasting point of view, I'm not expecting a whole lot from this team. I mean, just the fact that they made the playoffs, given kind of the the, the over-under in terms of wins that they got from a lot of the betting markets, were um, kind of uh, the fact that they got the over on that was very impressive, and the over by a substantial margin was very impressive. Uh, but the fan in me... It's like, they can beat the one seed. It's the Nuggets. Come on. They can do it. You know, that's the fan in me. But, you know, you know I'm trying to take a, 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 a positive side of it as a fan as well. Because, you know, you always want your team to win. I'm not going to sit here as the, if they get in out of the playing tournament and say, yeah, there's no shot against the Nuggets. We're not going to beat the Nuggets. But yeah, I think I think we can win a couple games against the Nuggets. Why not? You know, uh, speaking of the Nuggets, let's, let's, let's get in to the one-seeded Nuggets. Back-to-back MVP. Arguably back-to-back-to-back to back to back MVP, depending on what happens here. Nikola Jokic led the Nuggets to the one seed in the West, and he was just a 0.2 assists per game away from becoming the third player in NBA history and the first non-guard to average a triple-double for the season, finishing with 24.5 points per game, 11.8 rebounds per game, and 9-point assists per game. If you haven't watched Nikola Jokic play basketball, what are you doing? Uh, he's one of the absolute best players in the entire league. One of, the, I mean, obviously back-to-back MVP, if not the best player in the league. Uh, he's just a ton of fun to watch. He's a big man with uh, the guard vision ability to see the floor like I've never seen from a big man. Um, he's just a fantastic player. His arms are always bleeding, so don't be alarmed. It's really weird. Uh, if you're watching a game, he always has a cut on his arm. It's very strange. I don't know how it happens. If you're watching the game, there should be a bet on any of these major sports uh, books. Will Nikola Jokic have a cut on his arm by the end of the game? Yes or no? And I would put minus 210 on yes, I would say would be the odds for that. Minus 210 plus 400 or something like that for no or however that works. I don't know exactly. But minus 210 for yes because I think it's a very strong possibility that he will have a cut on his arm at the end of every single game. That is just... For whatever reason, he's just a bleeder. You know, he just bleeds for whatever reason. That's just how he goes about life. You know, if if it, times are struggling, uh, he'll if he's struggling during a basketball game or something, he'll bump into somebody. Bing, bang, boom. He's got a cut on his forearm. What the hey? How did that happen? Where'd that come from? 
That's what Nikola Jokic does. It's very odd. Uh, the Nuggets, they'll be welcoming back Jabal Murray to the playoffs for the first time since the bubble playoffs back in Orlando in 2020. He was exceptional in those playoffs, averaging 26.5 per game, 6.6 assists, and 4.8 rebounds per game, and shot 45% from the from behind the arc. Then again, it was the bubble. Very easy sight lines. You know, we can kind of take the bubble with a grain of salt, in my opinion, but, you know, when you, however you want to see it, he's back in the playoffs for the Nuggets for the first time since then, which regardless, however you feel about the bubble playoffs, the bubble performances, whatever, he's back. That's a huge addition for that team regardless. Uh, the Nuggets, they're the best shooting team in the league. They were during the regular season, leading the league in overall field goal percentage at 50.4%, and they were the first team, the only team to shoot 50% from above the uh, 50% or above from the field this season, and that was the highest team field goal percentage from any team since the 1994-1995 uh, Utah Jazz. And uh, with Joker off the floor, this is the only, I, I would say, the biggest concern for the Nuggets is obviously when they have to take, because he's not going to be able to play 48 minutes every single night, uh, when they have to take Jokic off the field, or field, off the floor, uh, Michael Malone, head coach Michael Malone, has been trying to stagger minutes with Murray uh, with the second unit, which allows Murray to play a little bit more aggressively, gives them a much better uh, scoring arm as well with the second unit. Uh, and the Nuggets are a plus 24.8 when Jokic is on the court. Uh, a staggering number. That is a huge number. Uh, so they're not going to want to have Jokic off the court very often, but God forbid he gets the cut on the old arm. He has to come off the court for a little bit because they got to clean it up. They got to bandage it up. You know what? If I'm Jokic, just wear some sleeves. All right. Just wear sleeves. Stop with the cuts, all right? You got to stop it. You can't come off the floor because the, the the Nuggets need you. They cannot be having you off the floor for very much. Uh, we'll see what the Nuggets can do. They're a one seed, obviously. They got here for a reason, uh, but I, I still don't have a whole lot of faith in them, to be honest with you. The team around Jokic has not been uh, very effective, in my opinion. Uh, I think I, I read somewhere that Jokic is the first player in... The history in, in a very long time. I don't remember exactly the number. I think it's like in the last 20 or 30 years or something like that. Uh, Jokic is the first MVP to not have an all star, an all NBA selection or an all defensive selection on the same team as him in like the last 30 years or something like that. So the team around him has not been very good, but Jokic is playing can you imagine how good Jokic would be if he had like another all-star around him? I think Jamal Murray could be that uh, if he can stay healthy. Obviously, I think Jamal Murray is good enough to become an all-star player. But uh, the fact that he hasn't had that around him, I think if you were able to put that around, put somebody around Jokic, I think that would only take him up an extra degree. I think he would average a triple-double at that point uh, because of how much he'll be able to dish out the ball more and trust his teammates maybe even a little bit more. Um, but that's neither here nor there. They don't have that at the moment, uh, even though Jamal Murray, I think, has the ability to do that. Uh, he has not been an all-star yet, uh, and he's not been an all-NBA selection or anything like that yet. So we'll have to wait and see. Uh, we'll see if Jamal Murray can come into the playoffs and perform like he did during the bubble. Again, Take it with a little bit of a grain of salt with the bubble. It's just a completely different experience. Who knows? Uh, and we'll see if maybe he can replicate it, though, regardless. Uh, that's the Nuggets. The one seed. Uh, I don't know how far they'll go. I think they could make it out of the West. The Suns are a very tough matchup for them, though, obviously. Uh, we'll talk about the Suns here in a little bit. Uh, I think the Grizzlies might be less scary than they were with losing Steven Adams. Obviously they also lost, they don't have Brandon Clark either, which is a big loss uh, because he tore his Achilles. That was uh, a while ago though, but I believe I, that was obviously before Steven Adams. So I think the Grizzlies have a little bit less bite now than they did, uh, you know, a, a couple months ago, but, uh, and I think the Suns, the Suns are just 
They're loaded. The Suns are absolutely loaded right now. Um, we'll get to the Suns here in a second. Uh, but yeah, the Nuggets. We'll see. We'll see what they can do. I think a guy like Joker can really take you uh, can take you a, a long way, but we'll see if they have the extra stuff around Jokic to give them that extra push into uh, the finals and possibly a championship for the Denver Nuggets. We'll see. Uh, all right, the two seed, the Memphis Grizzlies. No team, I would say, has captured the NBA world for better or worse this season more than the Memphis Grizzlies. They love to talk trash. The entire situation regarding John ja Morant, that was a, a talking point for about two and a half weeks, three weeks, still a talking point, I guess, really. Uh, they they uh, they love to announce themselves. They've now had, uh, they now have to be able to back it up, though, in this playoff. John ja Morant stated they were not worried about anybody else in the West in an interview back in December. Now they have to back it up. Uh, they come in having one of the stingiest defenses in the Western Conference, and part of that is because of Dylan Brooks, one of the... Uh, Talker, the talkiest talkers of all the talkers. Uh, statistically, he might not be good as good. I'm, and this is statistically, Mr. Brooks, please don't come at me. All right. Statistically, he might not be as good as he thinks he is. He always talk, it takes the toughest matchups. Uh, he thinks he's the best wing defender in the league. Uh, but at times, Brooks's decisions make decision making on the court can be problematic, whether it's an antagonistic antics or shot selection, what have you. Uh, there are times where Dylan Brooks maybe hurts himself a little bit more. Uh, than uh, than he's willing to say. Uh, they also, have, I mean, John Morant, obviously one of the most exciting guards players in the league to watch right now. Uh, and they love to run the floor and transition with John Morant. They are a mediocre half court team, though, ranking 16th in half court efficiency, and that could be a major problem for the Grizz in the playoffs, where the pace really tends to slow down. Obviously, uh, they did grab Luke Kennard at the deadline to try to help mend that area of the team in the half court, who has me and. Canard has made 54% of his threes since joining Memphis. So that was a good signing so far. It looks like that was a good signing for them. Unfortunately, they did get some very disappointing news in the last few days. It was announced, obviously, starting center. Steven Adams will miss the playoffs due to a knee injury. Brandon Clark is already out because of a torn Achilles tendon. So their center position down low, their five spot, is going to be a little bit odd. Uh, we'll see in Steven Adams, one of the, the one uh, an underrated aspect of his game, one of the great screen setters in the game. Uh, and for a guy like John Moran who loves to slash and get to the bucket, that is an underrated aspect of uh, of his game. So We'll see if they can make up for it, uh, but I think that's a that's a big a bigger loss than I think we're really paying attention to uh, for the Memphis Grizzlies. That, that's a that's a tough loss for them. Uh, the three seed, ladies and gentlemen, the three seed, the Sacramento Kings. Did you have that down at the beginning of the season? I didn't have that down at the beginning of the season. The Sacramento Kings. They're in the playoffs for the first time since 2006, snapping the longest playoff drought in NBA history and the longest active playoff drought among NBA, MLB, NFL, and NHL teams. They were able to snap that streak largely in part because of a crazy elite offense. They had the most efficient offense, not just in the league this season, but the most efficient offense in NBA history. Think of all the offenses we've watched in the last 10 years. The Golden State Warriors, obviously, they dominate that discussion, uh, but also the the big three heat, the, the, the Kobe Bryant and Shaquille O'Neal era Lakers. None of them were more efficient than the 2023 Sacramento Kings. Can you believe the sac? I can't believe I'm saying the Sacramento Kings had the most efficient offense in the history of of NBA of basketball ever. The Sacramento Kings had the most efficient offense. Uh, crazy to me. Uh, the pick and roll offense that featured Demontis Sabonis and De'Aaron Fox. 
that was a huge portion of it. They continuously moving around the both of them. Uh, the offense entirely moves around both of them. Sabonis just became the fourth player in NBA history to average at least 12 rebounds per game and seven assists per game, while Fox scored a league-high 194 points in clutch situations while shooting nearly 53% from the floor during that time. And the Kings, in whole, outscore opponents by 10 points per possessions in the clutch, which is the fourth best in the NBA. So you're getting into a clutch situation. You want to avoid the Kings. Avoid the Kings if you're trying to keep games close because this team is very good at winning those games uh, where they succeed in offense though. They do not duplicate in defense. They come into the postseason with the 24th rated defense, which is the worst among all postseason uh, postseason teams. Basically all season, they have relied heavily on the ability to just outscore opponents, including a 176 to 175 double overtime win over the Clippers back in February. I remember that very vividly. I was like, are these teams really going to go to a third overtime and score 200 points? At at some point, we're going to get to a point in the NBA where uh, it could be the Kings, uh, maybe next year, score 200 points in a game. Like that's going to, I wonder how we're going to react as just in general people, like human beings. How are we going to react to seeing the Kings get to a three or four overtime game or something like that? And they scored 200 points in that game. Are we are we prepared for that? They were just they were 24 points away from scoring 200 points. Like that, it doesn't feel like that's very far away. Now, granted, that's probably that's an outlier, like 176 to 175 in double overtime. Uh, again, the Kings were the most efficient team in the history of the NBA. Uh, so you know, a perfect storm, if you will. Uh, but it doesn't. I mean, it doesn't feel like it's far away from seeing a 200 to 196 game. Uh, in the NBA because it went to four overtimes or something like that. I do, it doesn't feel like we're that far away from that. Uh, and I feel like if that ever does happen, the teams that played in that game should just get a mandatory like two to three days off. Like they should just be off. Like the game, if they had another game scheduled after that on like the day after the next, you just move it. You know, they don't have to play that. If they score 200 points in the game, just move it. That should be your reward. If you can put 200 points in a regular season game doesn't matter how many overtimes it's like four double overtimes or whatever, or four overtimes or whatever. You should just get a mandatory, you know, a mandatory day off or extra or like a mandatory extra two days off or something like that. So if you had a game coming up the day after or the day after the next, they can just move it, you know, no big deal, whatever you'll play it back to back later in the season, but you know, you don't have to play a game for a couple of days. Okay. Just sit this one out. Uh, That is what the Kings can do, ladies and gentlemen, 160, 174, 176, excuse me, to 175 against the Clippers back in February in double overtime. And uh, that is basically what they do. They're not a good defensive team. They're just trying to outscore uh, the opponent they're playing. Not a good, uh, I I would say that's not a good recipe for playoff basketball. I think they're going to probably have some issues scoring against uh, whoever they're going to take on, who is to succeed the Golden State Warriors, even though Golden State's been very bad on the road. We'll talk about that in a second. Uh, I, I, you know, we'll see. I, it's a tough matchup for the Kings, and I don't think they're just going to be able to outscore the Golden State Warriors. The Golden State Warriors kind of have a per- perfect recipe, if you will, for, you know, keeping in uh, in in line with the highest scoring teams with, you know, having a very effective defense at times. And then Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, you know, a very good shooting team. So we'll see with the Kings. Um, but I don't think they're just going to be able to outscore their way through the playoffs. Uh, the four seed, four seeded Phoenix Suns. This team, uh, I think out of every team in the postseason, this one feels like the one that we're just waiting to see kind of pop. Uh, you know, they traded for Kevin Durant, who's a two time finals MVP, arguably the greatest scorer 
this team has ever, this league, excuse me, this game the NBA has ever seen. Uh, he has the fourth highest playoff scoring average in league history at 29.4 points per game. And the Suns went 8-0 when Durant played after acquiring him at the deadline. Uh, they we combined they combined basically the greatest score that we've ever seen with arguably the best assist maker, the best passer uh, in the history of the game in Chris Paul. Add that with Devin Booker, who's also a fantastic scorer, and they were able to keep DeAndre Ayton at the trade. A fantastic get for the Phoenix Suns. And I think... I think they're the favorites to come out of West, just even from the sports book. I don't think that's too crazy to think about, uh, too crazy to say. Uh, but I, I still feel like we're underestimating how good I think this tandem can be. I think this is probably the best grouping of talent in the league right now, to be honest with you. Uh, their bench is going to be an issue, obviously, in the playoffs. They had to trade away a lot of their bench guys, Cam Johnson, Mikel Bridges, to the Nets when they made this deal to get uh, to get Kevin Durant. And I think it will be a, could be a problem come playoff time. But again, uh, the, the combination and how well they mesh together, Chris Paul being able to feed uh, Kevin Durant basically passed either Durant or Booker open and to have a, the fact that the, the greatest uh, the greatest score this league has ever seen uh, be the guy that he's passing to is going to be a big problem, I think, for a lot of teams in the league. We'll see. I think they're by far the best team in the West now at this point. I don't think there's a better team in the West that's going to challenge them. Maybe, may I mean, and this is a strong maybe, um, or a soft maybe, I guess. Uh, the, the Nuggets, I think they're probably, even though they're not... Uh, I think well equipped to play against a team like this, even though really no team is well equipped to play against a team like this. I think maybe the Bucks would have the best chance uh, and maybe the Celtics because Tatum is a, a good defender. So is Brown. He can lock that. They, those guys can at least maybe mitigate the most damage uh, between Durant and Booker. Um, but then the Bucks as well, having a freak like the Greek freak in Giannis Antetokounmpo, uh, as well as the defense, uh, the Chris Middleton, who's also a very good a very good defender on the wing. I think that can help mitigate, but the Nuggets don't really have that. Kings obviously don't have that. Uh, the Grizzlies do kind of have it, but they lost Steven Adams as well, which is a big loss down low. They don't have Brandon Clark. That's a huge loss down low. Uh, I don't think there's anybody in the West that can really compete with the stuff that they're, that the Suns are able to put out on the floor right now. So, I think this is the team that's going to come out of the West. Um, they also added Terrence Ross after Orlando waived him, and he's been, a, it could be a fantastic addition to the three point as like a three point corner guy after a screen or something like that. He shot around 40% since joining the Suns, including two games where he went six for 10 from deep. Uh, after the last two playoff exits for the Suns, they first blew a 2 0 lead in the NBA Finals before losing the NBA Finals in 2021. And then they got decimated by 33 on their own home court in the conference finals last year. It feels like they're still kind of flying under the radar a little bit. And it's like, I know we're in like a wait and see mode. Uh, but again, this is a team that has won like 70% of their regular season games over the past two years. And that's before adding Durant. So, uh, I, you know, it's a scary team. It's still a very, very scary team. Uh, we'll see. Uh, what they can do. And I think uh, I think they're the favorites to come out of the West right now. Uh, the five seed is the Los Angeles Clippers. Kawhi Leonard is back with the Clippers, entering the postseason for the first time since 2020-2021. And he looks like he's finally returning to his form after tearing his ACL in that 2021, in those 2020-2021 playoffs. Uh, since January 1st, he is averaging 26.7 points per game on 52% shooting, 46% from three, and 90% from the line. 
However, they did lose their other superstar in Paul George at the worst possible time. George went down on March 21st after hurting his knee against Oklahoma City. And so far, there's been no timetable for his return. They didn't say anything about him tearing his ACL or anything like that. So the hope is still that he will play in the playoffs. Uh, But again, they haven't set a timetable yet for when he'll return. So if it is, it probably won't be until the semis if they make it there. Um, With George out, the Clippers have had to rely on Russell Westbrook, who has played better since leaving the Lakers and joining the Clippers in, uh, albeit a smaller role. He'll need Norman Powell to come back to be the sixth man uh, more of a sixth man from uh, after hurting his shoulder and Eric Gordon will have to play more of a two-way guard uh, rather than just kind of an offensive, uh, an offensive play, an offensive specialist, if you will uh, with Eric Gordon. So the Clippers uh, it's, I mean, I don't want to pick the Clippers to be honest with you, just because of how uh, bad, how much bad luck they've had, obviously. And they're playing in, they've got the worst matchup in, in the sun. So I don't think, I think this is probably a first round exit, especially if George isn't going to play in the first round. I think this is a first round exit for uh, the Clippers as well. Uh, the sixth seed, who else would we end with? Who else would we end with rather than the team that has basically dominated the entire league uh, for the last, for the last seven to 10 years or whatever, the golden state warriors, the defending champions. Uh, this team is not that last year's team though. Uh, it's definitely more, more vulnerable than last year's team, especially on the road, especially on the road, they have been historically bad on the road this season. They have gone an NBA high 27 straight playoff series with a road win. But in the regular season this year, they went 11 and 30 on the road, the fourth worst in the entire NBA. And that is the worst road record in NBA history by a defending champion. Their defense has been the biggest difference on the road. They allow 10.8 more points per game on the road than at home, which is the largest point differential between home and away since the 2008, 2009 jazz. Golden State also ranks third in three-point defense at home versus 29th at uh, on the on the road. So they still have that marquee big three, obviously, but those road and home splits, uh, those are big differences. And especially if their defense is going to play that poorly on the road, uh, they're going into going to be what's going to be a rowdy place in Sacramento. Uh, they're going to be pumped like crazy to have playoff basketball back in Sacramento. Uh, and obviously they're playing against one of the most efficient or the most efficient offense in the history of the NBA. Um, it'll be interesting to see. I don't think they're going to win a road game in this series and they have to win one in order to win the series. Obviously this could go seven. I could see it going seven and they still come out victorious somehow, just sneaking one of those road victories in and getting winning the series in seven games. Uh, but then again, Kings are bad on defense as well. Just in general, they're bad on defense and I don't see them going into golden state where also another very difficult place to play uh, in the NBA. And I don't see the the uh, the Kings being able to go in there and just dominate a victory that way. So this one's a weird one. Uh, it could be very high, high scoring games in the, in the playoffs between these two teams. It'll be interesting to see. I think just the experience that the, uh, that the Warriors have is probably going to be a little bit more uh, valuable than what the Kings have, obviously. Uh, and uh, I think the Warriors should be able to get out, maybe upset the Kings in this first round matchup. Um, and move on to the next round. But after that, I think the Warriors, I think the Warriors are done. I think uh, the other teams in those matches, but I can't remember who they would play if they took, so if they won the three game, I think they would take on the two seed, if I remember correctly, which the two seed would be the, the Grizzlies, which, I mean, that's not a bad matchup for them either. Wow, they got, they got two pretty good matchups there because they don't re-roll in the NBA playoffs, I don't believe. Uh, and if they go on to take on the Grizzlies, if the Grizzlies win, even though I don't know if they'll win either, Maybe they play. Maybe they play the Lakers. Who knows? That's wow. That's very intriguing. They we could see the Golden State Warriors back in the Western Conference Finals, and then they're playing Kevin Durant, which 
that's very interesting as well uh, in the uh, in the in the uh, Western Conference Finals or something like that. If the Suns make it all the way there, very intriguing matchups, very intriguing situations uh, for the entire NBA playoffs. It's I love the NBA playoffs. It's a blast to watch. It's always fun. There's always very interesting storing lines. It always feels like we get the best, uh, maybe not the best matchup, but the most fun. Uh, storyline to watch at some point during the playoffs, uh, you know, a, a revenge series matchup, that sort of thing. It feels like that happens every year uh, between at least somebody. Uh, and uh, we'll see if we get it this year with the Golden State. If if Kevin Durant has to play uh, and the Phoenix Suns have to play the Golden State Warriors in the Western Conference Finals, I think that would be very cool. That would be super, super cool to see if that happens. Um, as for my predictions, I think I'm going to go, I think the Celtics will play the Suns in the NBA Finals, and I think I'll go. I think I'll go. Let me see. That that'd be a fun match. That's gonna be a fun matchup to watch if that's what happens. Uh, I think I'll go Celtics in that matchup because I think they have they're kind of perfectly created to maybe hinder the Suns a little bit more, and I think the bench is a little bit more uh, a little better for the Celtics than the Suns, even though they're both pretty evenly matched throughout the rest of the board. The, the, the Celtics uh, shoot the ball very well, obviously. Uh, and, you know, the Suns, maybe the lack of experience uh, that those three have together in the playoffs could be a hindrance where the Celtics, um, I mean, they, that entire team has basically been playing each other since its conception. So I think the Celtics come out as NBA champions, uh, winning it this year over the Suns. And we'll say, we'll get out. I think that could be a seven game series. I'll go seven games. The Celtics win over the Suns and the Celtics become NBA champions. Those are my, that's my predictions. That's a preview of the NBA playoffs. I'm excited for it. It starts tonight. The plan is tonight for uh, the first two games of the plan on both sides of the bracket start tonight. And then the next games are tomorrow, Wednesday, for those that are listening later. Recording this on the 11th of Tuesday. So if you're listening to it later, then those playing games have already happened, obviously. Uh, but playoffs don't end until, what is it, May? like late June or something like that, if I remember correctly. Not late June, excuse me, early June, uh, if it goes all the way to seven games for a couple of those series. So be interesting to watch. I'm excited. Love the NBA playoffs. The atmosphere around the NBA uh, and, and home arenas when it comes to playoffs. I'm excited. They're always, it's always electric, and I'm excited to see uh, what the Kings fans bring because they're always, uh, they've been dying, they've been itching for a playoff basketball team for what the, the last 15 years, give or take, maybe a little, a little bit more, 17 years, 16 years uh, for the, uh, for the Kings. So they're going to be electric and you know, uh, all the teams always bring for the most part, they always have very good uh, fan bases that are there to cheer for them. And it's always very loud and it's always very fun to watch. And uh, I'm hoping all I'm hoping for at this point is some good games. That's all we want. That's all we want here at the weekend sports rep podcast. Just a couple of good games for the NBA playoffs. Uh, all right. I think, ladies and gentlemen, that is going to wrap up the show this week. I want to thank you very much for tuning in. Thank you very much to Jack and Kathleen Wood at 307 Real Estate uh, for sponsoring the show. Make sure you check them out for all of your real estate needs. Uh, They will be able to help you along the way. If you're looking to purchase or you're looking to sell, whatever it is here in the Sheridan area, they will be able to help you out. It's Jack and Kathleen Wood at 307 Real Estate. So make sure uh, you you, uh, check them out. Just support the people that support us here at the Weekend Sports Rep Podcast. Um, and remember to follow the show wherever you listen to your podcast. Give us a, a nice little rating. I'd appreciate that greatly. Uh, and uh, yeah, I think that's going to wrap it up. I want to thank you very much for tuning in. I've been your host, James Timberlake, and this has been the Weekend Sports Rep Podcast. <laughs>